So the first reading is from Exodus 20, 1 to 3. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And then in Matthew 22, verses, um, starting from verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Thank you. Thank you, honey. Let's pray together. Good morning, Andy. Morning, Jeanette. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the goodness and for the wisdom of your word. And Lord, I pray that as we come before your word this morning, Lord, I'd ask that you would graciously anoint me to teach. And Lord, that you'd anoint each of us to hear and receive. And Lord, walk in joyful obedience to your word for Jesus' glory. Amen. Well, can I say um, my additional welcome as well to uh, Elian Lawson and, and the wider family. Great to have you here today. And um, you've joined us at, um, as we're nearing the end of quite a long journey through the Ten Commandments. And um, this is the 10th day in our series, the 10th week in our series on it. Um, I don't know if you were like me when you were younger and you were on a, a, a long car journey and kind of even just a third it, of the way into, in, into the journey, you'd kind of be saying to your parents, are we nearly there yet? I, I had a brother who was shocking with that. 400 yards into a journey, he'd be prodding us and, um, and, and saying, you know, mommy, dad, are we almost there yet? And perhaps some of you have felt that with the Ten Commandments. But it has been great to tra- travel through, great to understand again the goodness and the wisdom that God has given us in his commandments and that the fact that they are truly life-giving and that when we make decisions not to covet, when in our hearts and minds we say, I'm not going to focus on something like adultery or stealing, then actually we are free to live well before God and well with one another. When we rest well, when we seek to honor the Lord's name, These things all build community and help us to live well before God. And it's been interesting traveling backwards through the commandments. So we started with the 10th commandment and we're now at the first commandment today. I heard this week actually that um, in the Sistine Chapel, I don't know how many of you have visited the Sistine Chapel in Rome, in the Vatican. But um, if, if you go into the Sistine Chapel, And you look up to this extraordinary ceiling that Michelangelo painted. And actually, he takes you through the story of of Genesis, the first book in the Bible. But he takes you through backwards. 
So actually, when you look up, you, when you come into the entrance, you look up, you see the, some of the story of Joseph depicted, then Abraham, then, then the Tower of Babel, then Noah, and then kind of humanity's disobedience in the Garden of Eden, and finally, God's work of creation above the altar. And I'm not saying that we got inspiration the same way that Michelangelo did. We wouldn't claim that. But there's been a kind of real value in traveling backwards through the Ten Commandments. And we're now at the first commandment. Above all, you shall have no other gods before me, says the living God. Put the living God first. And it's actually from this point that all the rest of the commands hang together and they all fit together and find their place. It's helpful for us to remember that when God originally gave these commandments to the people of Israel, they had been in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. So they were used to living in a polytheistic culture where there were many gods, many gods that people argued needed to be appeased. There were sun gods, there were snake gods, there were river gods. And so this command to have no other gods before the true and living God is very distinctive and very radical. You shall have no other gods before me. But also, if we just think about our own context in 21st century Britain, in a sense, our context is not so dissimilar to Egypt from all those years ago. We do live in a polytheistic culture where, of course, there are many other religions, but also there are many other kind of, as it were, would-be gods that, that try and draw our allegiance. And those would-be gods might be things like the god of financial success, the god of career progression, the god of the ideal home or the perfect family. And many of those things are actually good. They're not bad in themselves, a lot of them. But they don't have the right to be number one in our lives. They're not worthy of our primary allegiance. And if you've got Bibles near you or on your phones, you might want to turn to Exodus 20, verses 1 to 3 again. Because the way God introduces this first commandment is really helpful for us in understanding why God alone is worthy and why it really makes sense for us to put him as number one. And we're actually given four aspects of his character in these first three verses that I think it's really helpful for us to reflect on and to understand why God is asking us to put him, as it were, in first place in our lives. And the first, the first aspect of his character is this, that he is the one who creates and sustains all things. If we can have that slide up, please, Daniel. He is the one who creates, if we can have the next one, sorry, I, my fault, I missed that. And I missed that as well, sorry. <laughs> I'll probably come back to those at some point. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. He is the one who creates and sustains all things. And God spoke all these words. And that takes us again back to Genesis. 
You know, the beginning of Genesis, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. The living God chose to create the cosmos. Not because he needed to, but out of love. And he creates and sustains all things. And as we think about it, we think about his design and the breathtaking beauty of his creation. I mean, we're all blessed here, aren't we? We live along this extraordinary coast. We just need to gaze out to old Harry Rocks early on a summer's morning. We, you know, we think, wow, that's awesome. God created that. We can gaze from Evening Hill across towards the Purbacks early one evening. And we think, wow, the creator of this is worthy of praise. And God created humanity, created you and me, and he knows how we function best. He knows how actually we're wired up to live in the best way. He created us and he sustained us. And Jesus, his son, who was God made flesh. We want to know what God looks like, we look at Jesus. And we see that Jesus shared in the work of creation, but also... In his ministry, ministry, he was involved in recreation. So things that had gone wrong in people's lives, like when blind people came to him, Jesus restored their sight. When lepers came, he cleansed their skin. Yesterday, we, um, as Mark mentioned, it was the official launch of the veteran-friendly um, group's drop-in, monthly drop-in. And in just a tiny, tiny way, what the group, what that amazing group are seeking to do is they're seeking just to come alongside people who have served our country and many of whom have actually got kind of wounded or or carry emotional or mental wounds from having served our country and just be alongside them and listen and be part of Jesus' healing and hope that he can offer. Only God is worthy because he creates and sustains all things. And a second aspect we see of God's character in these first three verses is this. He is the one who reveals himself as Lord. I am the Lord, your God. I am the Lord. Three weeks ago, Fees spoke about not taking God's name in vain. And, um, you know, earlier in, in, in the book of Exodus, God reveals himself to Moses beside the burning bush and says to Moses, I'm sending you to my people to set my people free, to go and speak to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh he needs to let the people of Israel go. And Moses says... Well, that's fine, but who am I going to say has sent me? And God says to him, tell them that I am has sent you. And you can imagine Moses thinking, great. Could you, could you be a little bit more helpful, Lord? And, but God says, I am who I am. Yahweh is, is his name. I am the one from the very beginning. I am the one who always will be. I am has sent you. I am the Lord. 
and God has revealed himself as the Lord. And isn't it amazing that God has revealed himself? Because otherwise, we would be just poking about in the dark. But God has chosen to reveal himself. And we have his ongoing revelation of his character through the Old Testament. And then supremely in Jesus. There was a, a mum, and I'm just going to say, as Ellie and Lawson grew up, they're going to ask you lots of really interesting questions. <laughs> there was a mum who, um, whose daughter was asking her a really difficult question. And she didn't know the answer to it. As parents, we don't always know the answer to our children's questions. And this mum spoke to Bishop Festo Coventry, who was a bishop in, um, in southwest Uganda, in Kigezi. And she said, Bishop, perhaps you can answer this question for me. My daughter is asking me, what does God do all day? Really difficult question. And Bishop Festo smiled, thought for a moment, and he said, he mends broken things. God mends broken things. He is worthy of our praise because he has revealed himself as the Lord, the Lord who mends and goes on mending broken things. And then a third aspect of God's character that we see in these three verses. He is the one who rules humanity and history as king. I am the Lord, your God. I am the Lord, your God. He's reminding them that they are his people and he is their God and he is our God. And as our God, the King, he is worthy of all the reverence and praise that is due to him. I'm sure that most of us feel incredibly proud of our Queen, don't we? And this week, we'd have seen photos of her in Westminster Abbey, this time surrounded more closely with her family, as for the service of, of remembrance, of the memorial service for her beloved Philip. And our servant queen has chosen to follow the king of the universe, the king of heaven and earth, as her guide and inspiration throughout her reign. And because she's followed the living God as her king. That has given her a stability and a wisdom and an integrity in the way that she has served us. But just as we're proud of our queen, let's magnify that a million times over in terms of recognizing the living God as our king. And it's interesting that in the New Testament, we see the emphasis on the lordship, the kingship of Jesus. So I love, I love the disciple Thomas. Thomas was full of lots of questions, probably like many of us are. And after Jesus was raised from the, t the dead, Thomas was with the other disciples in the upper room. Most of the other disciples had already seen the risen Jesus. And Thomas said, no, unless I can put my hand in his side, unless I can touch the holes in his hand where the nails went in, I won't believe. And Jesus comes and stands among the disciples. And Thomas 
recognizes him as he reaches out to touch him. My Lord and my God. The living God is worthy of our primary allegiance because he is the true king. And then fourthly, a fourth aspect of God's character here is he is the one who saves his people. He is the redeemer. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery, out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. God is reminding his people as he's introducing these commandments. He's reminding them he's not distant, he's not passive, he's not uninvolved in their lives. He has got involved and he's rescued them out of a place of horrendous hard labor of slavery and he has given them freedom. God is always in the freedom-bringing business. And just as God did that for the Israelites, far more supremely, Jesus did that all for us all on the cross, uniquely through his death and through his resurrection. He took upon himself all our yuck, all our failure, all our sin, all our mistakes. And he says, there's nothing that you've done or can do that I cannot forgive. There's nothing too dark that you can't bring to me and know you are forgiven. God is our redeemer. And because of that, he's the only one who can truly rescue us when we mess up and enable us to walk rightly with our holy God and well with one another. I heard this week about a school near Bath. Actually, it's a school that our our daughter's linked to. And um, that actually, one of the things they've they've, um, instituted in this school in the last academic year is that on the Thursday of each week, they have a student in an assembly who shares what has been their failure for the week. So it might be a strange thing for a school to do, But what they're wanting to do is create a culture of grace there where kind of people are honest, where they say, I've messed up. And Livia, our daughter, was saying that the week before last, one student said, I felt really angry with my English teacher during this week. Um, And I, I hope they sorted out well with the English teacher afterwards. But they were being honest and saying, do you know, I've really struggled with this. Someone else... Um, actually, someone who is a very good rugby player there and is kind of looked up to, they're part of the Bath Academy, very good rugby player, actually shared about the fact he has wrestled with his mental health over the last few months. And not that that's a failure, but that's been a real struggle for him. And actually sharing openly like that has brought a, a greater degree of honesty and openness together. And it's created a culture of grace. And we can walk with one another like that. Why? Because we have a redeemer. We have a God who accepts us and will forgive us. And knows exactly that we're very fallible, we're very flawed. I love the fact actually in the sermon at Westminster Abbey, the the Dean of Westminster, David Connor, who gave that sermon, talked about how flawed... And how human Philip was. 
And, you know, that's true for each of us, isn't it? Only God is worthy of our primary allegiance because he is the living God. He is the Lord because he has redeemed us. He is the Redeemer and because he is King. And there's a lovely, lovely statement that a, um, a bishop some years ago made because there's always more we can discover about God. But what we do know is that God is Christ-like and in him there is no unchrist-likeness at all. So that probably sounds quite wordy. But it just reminds us when we look at Jesus, we see the face of God. And he is worthy of our allegiance. And do you know what? You and I, we only have one life to live, don't we? One life to live to the full. And what will we put right at the center of our life? What will guide us? What will help us to make decisions that are good for our families? What will help us to make, um, what, what will be a central point for us? What will be true north for us as we seek to navigate our, um, the complexity of 21st century living? Because I think for many of us, at times we can feel as though we are in a fog. And we're longing for wisdom in terms of making those decisions. Daniel, sorry, can I have that picture of the compass up again? And we think, how do I tra traverse kind of what lies before, before us? Well, having God as true north in our lives can help us to do that. Just in closing, I want to offer us four questions for us to reflect on. Because I think at times, at times we can say, I want God to be right at the center. And then things begin to shift us away. So four questions for us to reflect on. And the first is this. What competes for your primary allegiance? Now I know the term primary allegiance might sound a bit, bit American and that's not a bad thing. You might think it's not terribly British. But you know what it, we all know what it means. What competes for the first place in your life. You might remember the film Dr. Doolittle. Do you remember that? Do you remember there was a great animal called Push Me Pull You? Fantastic animal. And I think there are a number of things that actually push us away from keeping God right in the center. And others that pull us away And those things might not necessarily be bad in themselves, but we just allow them to take central center place. And it can be if, if we just give everything to pursuing our career, we sacrifice other things around it. It can be at times if, if a heart's desire is just that we could grow the most perfect family context ever. It might be because the world has been so turbulent, that actually we lift up comfort as our number one goal. More than anything else, we want to be comfortable. And some of those things are very understandable. But they can only find their true place 
when our primary allegiance is to the living God because he deserves it. He is worthy. And what I would say also, just something we need to be aware of saying this in church, is that sometimes our busyness for God can actually take first place rather than God himself. And so some of us will be a little bit vulnerable to that at times. So what competes for your primary allegiance? Second question is, I think this is a difficult one. For what are you struggling to say in your life at the moment? Lord, your will be done. You know, it might be you've been waiting for something for a long time. You've been waiting for a very long time. And you're kind of saying, Lord, it's so hard to say your will and your timing be done. But today might be a point where you're saying, Lord, I'm going to trust, I'm going to trust you again. I'm going to say, Lord, your will be done there because you know me better than I know myself. Your timing is perfect. So is there something you're struggling to say your will be done? And as I was thinking about this this week, I was reminded about the fact that as Jesus carried his cross physically, he stumbled, didn't he? on the way to Calvary. But he saw it through. And you and I, we will stumble in different ways because we're very human. But the Lord will want to bring us to a point of saying, Lord, your will be done because his will is for our very best. A third question, a slightly different one. Who do you take time to thank Who do you take time to thank? You know, when you look out to old Harry's Rock, your first response might be, wow, that's beautiful. But do do we also then stop and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, creator God. This is amazing. Thank you, Father. Are there moments in the week when someone phones you out of the blue and you know that God has prompted them to because it really lifts your spirit. It encourages you. And do you also thank the Lord for that? So who do you take time to thank? And a fourth question, probably a slightly more complex question. Is the way you're loving God at the moment, is that deepening your love for others? Because putting God first should never drive us or lead us towards a religious extremism or a legalism. It actually should help us to become more joy-filled, more like Jesus was, more a blessing to other people. But the danger is, and I I think during lockdown it's probably got accentuated, is that we can want to love God in a way that's just fine for, for God and me. You know, just as long as... I'm feeling good about that. But loving God will always turn us outwards to love others. 1 John 4. John, great apostle, in in nearing, nearing the end of his days, said, how can you say you love God who you have not seen if you do not love your brother and sister who you do see? So loving God, wow, will always call us 
and lead us to love one another better. Love your neighbour as yourself. So as we come to this first commandment on which all the other commandments hang, where is your primary allegiance? Put the living God first. When we put the living God first, other pieces of the puzzle fall into their right place. And when we do that, we become fully alive, just as God intends us to be. Let's just be quiet for a moment. Lord, we thank you for all that you have done for us and all that you've done for us supremely in Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that we don't need to earn your approval because we can just receive it from Jesus. And Lord, we want to walk as people of grace. And Father, thank you for the goodness of your ways, the goodness of your commandments. And Lord, I pray that as we put you, the living God, first, Lord, you'd enable us to know your shalom in our lives, your peace and your wholeness. And Lord, that we might shine more brightly. We might be community builders. We might be those who love others more effectively. For Jesus' glory, we pray. Amen. Thank you.